Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. The event we're going to talk about today occurred in the year 1822. But what else happened that year? Well, on the 3rd of July, Charles Babbage publishes a proposal for a difference engine, a forerunner of the modern computer, for calculating logarithms and trigonometric functions. Construction of an operational version goes ahead under government sponsorship, but it will never be completed. On the 27th of November, outside Newgate Prison in London, William Redding becomes the last person to be hanged for shoplifting. Also that year, a fossil iguanodon tooth is discovered by Gideon Mantle and his wife, Mary, in West Sussex. In 1925, it will be the first fossil to be recognised as that of a dinosaur. Also, Hieroglyphics are deciphered by Thomas Young and Jean-Francois Champollion using the Rosetta Stone. The Rosetta Stone is one of the most famous objects in the British Museum in London, and it's broken part of a bigger stone slab. It has a message carved into it, written in three types of writing. Hieroglyphics, Demotic, which is the cursive Egyptian script used for daily purposes, meaning language of the people, as well as ancient Greek. And because scholars could still read ancient Greek, they were able to decipher the other languages. But our event happened on the 26th of November, 1822. And its trial was being held at the Somerset Assizes on April the 4th, 1823, where the room was filled with an excited and curious crowd. They were there to see the three women who were charged under the Lord Ellenborough's Act of maliciously cutting and stabbing an old woman with the intent to murder her. Why? Because they believed her to be a witch. Word of the Week And this week, it is my honour to give you... Overmorrow, which happens to be the day after tomorrow. The three women were charged under Lord Ellenborough's Act, which is an English statute of 1803 that punishes offences against the person. The Act provides for prevention of malicious shooting 
and attempts to discharge loaded firearms, stabbing, cutting, wounding, poisoning and the malicious use of means to procure the miscarriage of women. The Act provided that it was an offence for any person to perform or cause an abortion. The punishment for performing or attempting to perform a post-quickening abortion was the death penalty. The Act is named after Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales, Edward Law, 1st Baron Ellenborough, who first proposed the law. And the Act is also known as Malicious Shooting and Stabbing Act of 1803. In this case, though, the Grand Jury threw out this bill on the capital charge and instead returned a true bill against the three people for an assault, which carried a lesser punishment. The three people were 50-year-old Elizabeth Bryant and her two daughters, Elizabeth Jr., aged 22, and Jane Bryant, aged 15. The victim was Anne Burgess, who lived about a quarter of a mile away from them. Anne Burgess was called to the stand. She was a healthy-looking 68-year-old with an imposing demeanour. She said, I know the prisoners, the mother and two daughters. On the 26th November, I went to her house and met her in the passage, which was dark. I said, Betty Bryant, I become to ask you a civil question, whether I bewitched your daughter? <laughs> she said, yes, you have, you damned old witch. You have bewitched her for the last 12 months. And she said she would be totally damned if she would not kill me. They all came out together and fell upon me. The little daughter drew out my arm and held it, whilst one of the others cut at it. She went on to say that she heard someone shout, Bring out a knife, so that we may cut the flesh off the old witch's arms. The three tore at her arms with an iron nail. A friend of Anne's who had gone along with her, but waited outside, came in and dragged Anne away from the frenzy, all the while screaming murder over and over again. A mob had started to assemble in the street outside the door, but none of them moved to help. In fact, they joined in the chants that the old woman was indeed a witch. During the attack on Anne Burgess, the mother and eldest daughter were still holding the struggling Anne on the floor, whilst the youngest was still slashing at Anne's arms with a large iron nail. This was the scene for a good ten minutes, and in that time, the mob stood, watching. Anne was only rescued by the continued and brave efforts of her friend. She said, If a knife had been there, I have no doubt I would have been murdered. When cross-examined, Anne was asked if the people of Wivelscombe thought that she was indeed a witch. It was some time before she replied that she had never been thought of as a witch until the Bryants had started spreading the rumour around, claiming that she was exercising her infernal influence over one of them. Anne said that she had always tried to live righteously and peaceably without doing any harm to anyone and that she was greatly afflicted at the rumours. The apprentice to Mr North, a surgeon in Wivelscombe, said that on the night in question, Anne had been brought to him to have her arm seen to. He had found about 16 incisions, about a quarter of an inch deep, with others slightly milder. Some were about three inches long, and some longer. He went on to say that the damage to Anne's arm was horrific. 
and it took her several months to heal properly. At the Assizes in Taunton, Mr Erskine, the prosecutor, didn't deny the attack, but wanted to highlight the reason behind it. An old lady, Elizabeth Collard, who was a friend of the elder prisoner, was brought forward, and she stated that she had seen her friend on the morning of the assault, and they had started to catch up on news, as they hadn't seen each other for a while. The prisoner had told her that her troubles were the fact that her daughter had been bewitched for 12 months, and she had consulted Old Baker, the Devonshire wizard, about her case. He had given her charms to wear against spells, and a recipe against witchcraft, adding that blood must be drawn from the witch to break the charm. The prisoner declared that old Mrs Burgess was the witch, and she was going to get blood from her. Collard persuaded her that she should let old Baker punish her if she was really a witch. The judge himself asked, Who is old Baker? Oh, my lord, he is a great conjurer, the people say. He is a good deal looked up to by the poor people in these parts. I wish we had the fellow here. Tell him if he does not leave off his conjuring, he will be caught and charmed in a manner he will not like. Collard went on to say, I pitied the woman. She was in such a world of troubles, and besides that, she had a great many afflictions with her family, but she appeared to feel the bewitching of her daughter very deeply. I asked how the witchcraft worked upon her, when she told me that when her daughter was worked upon, she would dance and sing, just as if she was dancing and singing to a fiddle, in a way that there was no stopping her, before she dropped down and the fiend left her. Mr Rogers addressed the jury on behalf of the prisoners. He said that to attempt to deny that a guilty verdict must be given against the miserable females in the bar would be an insult to the intelligent men he saw in the box, but he wanted to draw their attention to the delusions that the women were under and that they should give, with their verdict, a recommendation of mercy to his lordship. The judge intervened at this point and said the course that Mr Rogers was pursuing could not be permitted until after the verdict was established. Mr Rogers told the judge that he had been allowed to make this plea before with another judge on the circuit, but this judge said he'd never heard of it before and refused to permit it. You won't be surprised to find that the jury found the prisoners guilty. Word on the street. This week we're going to Winkworth Place in BS2. This is named after two sisters, Catherine and Susanna, local philanthropists. Catherine was a governor for Redmaid School and a promoter of Clifton High School for girls. Susanna was one of the first people to take an interest in the housing problems of Bristol, especially in the tenements of Hotwells, the poor area of Clifton. Decent housing for the poor was built at Jacobs Wells Industrial Buildings on her initiative, revolutionary for the time, with their built-in comforts of gas and running water, and she took responsibility for their management. 
Between them, the sisters made a considerable impact on improvements in education and social conditions for the poor of Bristol. After the guilty verdict was read out, Mr Rogers once again on behalf of the prisoners pleaded with the judge, saying his clients were under a strong delusion. The prosecution said that they would be happy with any outcome that would stop this from happening again, but they wished the prisoners not escape without a sentence as would operate as a warning in other places. The judge said that if old Baker, the wizard, was still pursuing these practices, that he was being accused of, then there was a very useful Act of Parliament that had recently been passed, which provided punishment for such offences. The judge then addressed the prisoners. Your conduct, Elizabeth Bryant the Elder, is of a most aggravated nature. Instead of going to a magistrate for the redress of any injury, which you might have conceived you had suffered, you allowed yourself to be acted upon by an infamous man and to carry out into execution the exploded and horrible notion that in order to get rid of the affliction of your daughter, it was necessary to draw blood from the supposed witch. There is little doubt that if a weapon had been at the moment within your reach, you would have acted upon your notion to the extent of committing murder upon the poor old woman, for you called out in your rage for a knife to cut off the flesh from the old witch's bones. As it was, you and every one of you who stood in peril of your lives for the offence you have committed, but I considered it not to have come within the intent of the Act of Parliament. It was my doing that you were prosecuted for this assault instead of being tried for your lives, but you cannot be allowed to escape without some punishment. You have been guilty of a great, a gross and a very abominable crime, and though in consequence of the certainty that your mind was at the time labouring under delusion, I shall act in the most lenient manner towards you compared with the sentence I should otherwise have passed. Yet it is necessary to visit you with a punishment that will cause you and everybody to remember that it is at the peril of severe punishment if they act upon such ignorance and folly. I actually managed to find the recipe and instructions that old baker, the Devonshire wizard, gave to Elizabeth Bryant, which I thought I'd share with you. He'd given them a mixture which had to be mixed with half a pint of gin and then a tablespoon was to be taken mornings and at 11 o'clock, four and eight and four of the pills he'd given them to be taken every morning and there was a paper of powder to be divided in ten parts and one part to be taken every night with a little honey when going to bed. The paper of herbs were to be burnt, a small bit at a time, on a few coals, with a little hay and rosemary, and while it is burning, they had to read the first two verses of the 68th Psalm and say the Lord's Prayer afterward. The 68th Psalm is as follows. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. 
Let them also that hate him flee before him. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. After this part had been done, the girl never had a fit again, but the drawing of the blood from the witch still had to be done in order to break the charm permanently. After everything they'd done, it seems like the judge was lenient, and they were given a custodial sentence of just four months. This story today may sound odd to our modern ears, but the belief in witchcraft was widespread throughout Somerset, and according to a historical document written in 1681, Somerset was awash with witches, and apparently contained two great covens, one at Brougham and the other at Wincanton, situated just miles from Glastonbury, which was, and still is, the ancient seat of pagan forces. One of the ways people would protect themselves was a witch bottle, and many had been discovered in old buildings. These were a favourite tool to counter any evil spell, and anybody thinking that they had been bewitched would fill the bottle with pins, their urine and nail clippings, and then hide it somewhere, usually beneath the front doorstep or the fireplace. A bullock's heart stuffed with pins was placed in a chimney to stop entry by a witch, and horseshoes, often seen over doorways, were placed there to break the spell of an evil wisher, and even animals, usually cats, were crucified in the roof space of houses. But the simplest witch turned was urine. It was sprinkled over the doorstep to prevent entry, and in some cases sprinkled over people to prevent bewitchment. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ, and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. Bristol's legendary anti-vax nanny has sold the rights to her story to a Hollywood producer. Her name is Mrs. Doubtfizer. Back in the day facts. And first we go to 19th of February 1910, when Mary Mallon, better known as Typhoid Mary, is freed from her first period of forced isolation and goes on to cause several further outbreaks of typhoid in the New York area. Also on the 19th of Feb in 1906, Will Keith Kellogg and Charles D. Bolin found the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company, now the multinational food manufacturer Kellogg's. 
On the 22nd of February, 1935, The Little Colonel premieres starring Shirley Temple, Lionel Barrymore and Bill Robinson. It features the famous stair dance with Hollywood's first interracial dance couple. On the 23rd of February, 1990, Hold On, the single released by En Vogue, was the Billboard Song of the Year. On the 24th of February, 1942, only two months after the attack at Pearl Harbor, the skies of Los Angeles burst open with anti-aircraft fire and spotlights flooded the night sky looking for rumoured Japanese planes. A total blackout was ordered in the city and air raid sirens were sounded off, warning people of the danger. After the raid ended, the Navy Secretary told press that the incident was a false alarm, triggered by war nerves and anxiety. In 1949, though, the Coast Artillery Association explained that the incident was caused by a stray weather balloon. Despite the false alarm, five people did die during this supposed battle, three in car accidents from the panic and two from heart attacks related to the stress of the incident. And also on the 24th of February, but in 1965, the Beatles started filming Help! the film in the Bahamas. And now we've come to the end of the show. But don't worry, I'll be here same time, same place next week. And this show has been brought to life for you by the vocal talents of Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio, as well as Molly Jeffries and Kate Kendall from St. Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol. Thank you, one and all. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>